Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to the Man and Candace podcast, everybody. It's your girl Candace back at it again late, but never early. Oh, wait, what am I trying to say? Early, but never late. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to tell you that we're still on schedule. It's Saturday, July 2nd. Woo, happy 4th of July weekend. Woo, it's a lie. It's all a lie. It was all a lie. I'm just kidding. Happy 4th of July weekend, motherfuckers. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing swell. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Before I get into it, hop onto the Patreon and the links in the description below. Follow us on Instagram at the Man and Candace Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at MDMAQ. Email me if you want to sponsor the podcast at info at MDMAQ.com. Any other inquiries, any other fan mail, anything, questions that you want me to read on the podcast, info at mdmaq.com. We're continuing listening to him. I think we're going to listen to The Rock all month. All fucking month. You guys, I just had a date with Samuel. And I really like him. I think he's gorgeous and he's nice and he's really affectionate. Look at me meeting new people. I didn't know that he'd be on the other side of Tinder, but here we are. 2,500 likes later. (laughs) In today's pop culture section, I want to play you some videos that I found because R. Kelly and Ghislaine Maxwell both got sent. So let's listen to this. A Brooklyn judge throws the book at singer R. Kelly, giving him 30 years behind bars. A jury found the singer guilty last September of racketeering and sex trafficking. The trial was seen as a signature moment of the Me Too movement. CBS 2's Alice Gaynor live at the Brooklyn Federal Courthouse with the details tonight. Alice. R. Kelly had no reaction as that 30-year sentence was... 30 years?! declined to speak in court, citing pending charges in two jurisdictions. But numerous victims addressed the court. He did not look at any of them. The judge, in handing down her sentence, said the public needs to be protected from his behavior. I never thought that I would be here to see him be held accountable for the atrocious things that he did to children. Eight people gave victim impact statements. Some spoke outside. There wasn't a day in my life up until this moment that I actually believed that the judicial system would come through for black and brown girls. In the courtroom, seven women detailed their anguish, telling R. Kelly he had decades of remorseless freedom. And as Kelly appeared to chat with his attorney as some women spoke, I can see you're not sorry. One referenced Kelly's alleged childhood abuse. Being abused doesn't give you the right. The judge was also mindful of any suffering he endured at a young age and said, quote, even if an explanation, it's not an excuse. Damn. Prior to handing down a 30-year sentence, she said he left Damn. in his book, quote, 
a trail of broken lives Damn! and had an indifference to human suffering. One woman's father also spoke, asking Kelly to look at him and to also confess. His attorney said he was not obligated to confess. I asked her about this outside the courthouse. I said he has regrets and he is sad. Nobody wants to hear um, uh, what, Ed, what he heard today. He's a human being. He feels what other people are feeling. Um, but that doesn't mean that he can accept responsibility in the way that the government would like him to and the way other people would like him to because he disagrees. In September, Robert Sylvester Kelly was found guilty of racketeering. It included the sexual exploitation of children, forced labor, and Man Act violations involving the coercion and transportation of women and girls in interstate commerce to engage in illegal sexual activity. With the aid of his fame, his money, and most importantly, his inner circle, R. Kelly preyed upon children and young women for his own sexual gratification for decades. Among the victims, the late R&B singer Aaliyah. Witnesses testified about being locked in rooms, having to ask permission to leave or use the bathroom. Others alleged Kelly gave them herpes without disclosing he had an STD. Today's sentencing sends a clear message that no amount of money or fame is enough to evade justice. R. Kelly must also pay a $100,000 fine. His attorney says they are appealing. Next is his federal sex crimes trial in Chicago. Outside of Brooklyn Federal Court, Alice Gaynor, CBS 2 News. All right, Alice, thank you. And to see a full timeline of the R. Kelly case, go to our website, cbsnewyork.com. And a Brooklyn judge so, wrote the book at Singer R. So R. Kelly not only has to face well, he just got sentenced to 30 years. He has to go to Chicago and face another federal court for similar charges of sex trafficking children. These people in high places, these people in high places get a hold of our babies and they just have sex with them. Next up is Ghislaine Maxwell. We are also following breaking news. Ghislaine Maxwell will serve 20 years in prison for sex trafficking. A federal judge announcing that sentence within the last hour. Now, Maxwell was convicted of helping to recruit young girls to be abused by her longtime associate, Jeffrey Epstein, back in December. The judge saying, quote, the damage done to these girls was incalculable. NBC News correspondent for investigations Tom Winter has been following this case from the start. He is live outside the courthouse in lower Manhattan today. Tom, uh, Maxwell did speak in the courtroom before learning her sentence today. She what did spoke. She, she spoke. Yeah, and a tough sentence that it was with a judge going above the guideline range to sentence her to 20 years in jail, more than was initially called for in hitting her with maximum fines. Uh, the, the statements from Maxwell today, as you said, really the first time that we've heard from her in a substantial fashion since this entire case began, which is not entirely surprising. But what she said did surprise some people in court. She did acknowledge uh, the tremendous uh, emotional testimony uh, that these women uh, provided to the court today for all the abuse that they've gone through and all the abuse that they say they've suffered since. Talking about psychological abuse, talking about substance abuse, talking about multiple attempts at suicide because the things that Maxwell and Epstein put them through for, in her own words, Maxwell saying today, it is my sincerest wish to all those in this courtroom that this day brings a terrible chapter to an end. She also say, may this day help you travel from the darkness into the light, speaking to the victims. She acknowledged that she'd been convicted with Jeffrey. Hold on. 
She spoke to the victim. May this day help you travel with light. Bitch, fuck you. Throw the whole book at her. Throw the whole damn book at her. But didn't really admit her own role in what happened here and her own role with Epstein, that's something that the judge picked up. She said it was kind of a pattern of, uh, of putting the blame aside, uh, noted that in handing down her sentence. Maxwell, for her part, uh, stood to receive the sentence as is customary, uh, but pretty much just looked forward and didn't seem to have any sort of uh, overt emotion or reaction to today's proceedings. And I will note, uh, during the course of the victim's testimony, she also uh, did not appear to ever look at them, just kind of lean forward and look forward and uh, took some notes as well. This really does mark the final chapter of a multi-year investigation. She was first arrested nearly two years ago in seclusion at a home in New Hampshire uh, where she was uh, at the time uh, trying to cover up her phones in tinfoil. To give you an example of what happened that day, according to the FBI, and now nearly two years later, she'll spend the next two decades in jail. And Tom, you know, uh, we often hear the victim impact statements at this point uh, in, a, in a criminal proceeding like this. What did we hear from the victims? Uh, what did they have to say to Matt? I don't know if you guys caught that, but it said that she was wrapping her phone in tinfoil to try to avoid being caught. Maxwell today. Well, it's a very powerful comments. All told, we heard from four of them in person. We also heard from an attorney representing Virginia Joffrey Roberts, uh, who wanted to speak on her behalf because uh, Joffrey couldn't make it today. Uh, we heard from her outside of court. Let's listen to Sigrid McCauley. Today showed us that individuals can be held accountable irrespective of power and privilege. And today showed us that the chorus of voices of these survivors prevailed and showed accountability. It's really a victorious day for justice. A victorious day for justice. Well, that concludes our pop culture segment. Sex traffickers are getting held accountable. Yay! I just want to know who else is out there sex trafficking right now. We need to go get them. Like, yesterday. You guys, I've been dealing with something a little personal that I want to talk about today. Um, It's called Imposter Syndrome, which is the title of the podcast. What it is, is that you are experiencing feelings of inadequacy. Like, you, like your accomplishments aren't that great or don't deserve much attention and it's weird because everything I do is for approval and I've been feeling down I've been feeling like I've fell off with my art with I don't know everything and nothing could be further from the truth I recognize that I'm achieving a lot of great things. I just got a mural downtown. Phoenix. Behind Lostly. So, let me tell you about how I got this mural. Um, I was at a store. And I met someone. And this person happened to be one of the greatest graffiti writers from New York City. Legend. He was on my podcast, Sar. But like now, 
he had dinner with the owner of Lost Leaf. And he got to be a part of something great. And then he invited me to be a part of it with him. And here's where my imposter syndrome is coming in. It's whispering to me. It's going, oh, you're not that good. Oh, you weren't approached. Oh, they're going to buff it out. And they, 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 they will. They will buff it out eventually. But... I'm there. I'm there, you guys. And I have to keep telling myself that. I can see your sad face in your pitiful eyes. Don't have the strength to carry your heavy load of lies. I'm your Christ and I want you. So, <coughs> let me kind of give you a rundown of like the history of my murals. The first mural I had, bad like all my murals are bad luck. I don't know why. Because I've always done it on of like I need I need exposure or I need a shot type deal. I've never really done it on you're paying me this much. Well I've done it like that, but it came at a cost. Twice. Let me talk about it. The first one was with Candace. And I ended up throwing paint all over her yard, allegedly. So what ended up happening is she she said the word nigger in front of me. And, like, I stopped doing her mural. But, like, I did a mural for her, and it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was my first mural. And, like, her friend was a big fan of mine. And I let, I let them in too close. I forget that I'm the artist. I always try to be people's friend. Like, I forget that I'm the star. I'm the star! I'm just kidding. And then, like, so Candace wanted me to come back and do a mural where it said blessed. And, like, I knew she was this, I knew she was a snake. I could feel it. But I never had proof. Until she said niggers in her yard. And I heard her. She said it in front of me. And she goes. <gasps> she put her hands in front of her mouth. And like like she wanted to eat her words. And I'm like oh it's too late. It's too late now. You said niggers. You said it. So in the middle of her mural. She's like I expect you to finish that mural. And I'm like I ain't doing shit. I ain't doing shit. You want to. You wanna, if that's how you talk. That's the vocabulary you use. You're not black. And with the hard ER, she said niggers. I've said this before in a previous podcast. So that's why I never finished her mural. That's why if she wants to bad talk, bad mouth me, she can do so. But like she says niggers, that's in her vocabulary. My second mural was at Dom Life. And they covered it up. That they covered it up. They covered it up. But like the security guard gave me Molly and like wanted to fuck. And like I never wanted to get with him. And like he fucking took it out on me and the next thing you know my mural's covered. Another mural with a guy named fucking Mikey. He let me do a mural in his studio. And he covered it up because I didn't want to fuck him. 
Like, it's all, like, all of my mural opportunities have surrounded, except Candace, have surrounded me wanting to get fucked. Or someone wanting to fuck me. That's the annoying thing about being hot. Even with even with this mural, Sar has been like, "Oh, you wore a sexy outfit yesterday." He's calling me babe. He has a wife and all that. And I'm just like, "Oh, here we go. It's not on my own merit. My looks have something to do with it." And this is where the imposter syndrome comes into play even more. Let's watch a video on what imposter syndrome actually is. But before we do that, hop on down to the description links below. Follow us on Instagram at the Candice Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at MDMAQ. You guys, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, email me at info at mdmaq.com. This is something that I struggle with, imposter syndrome. So in order to give you more clarity on what exactly that is, let's listen to a video on what imposter syndrome is. All right, here we go. Even after writing 11 books and winning several prestigious awards, Maya Angelou couldn't escape the nagging doubt that she hadn't really earned her accomplishments. Albert Einstein experienced something similar. He described himself as an involuntary swindler whose work didn't deserve as much attention as it had received. Accomplishments at the level of Angelou's or Einstein's are rare but their feeling of fraudulence is extremely common. Why can't so many of us shake feelings that we haven't earned our accomplishments or that our ideas and skills aren't worthy of others' attention? Psychologist Pauline Rose Clance was the first to study this unwarranted sense of insecurity. In her work as a therapist, she noticed many- So this unwarranted sense of insecurity, like surrounding my murals, I have a sense of insecurity before doing them, while doing them, and even after it's done. I always look at it and go, that's not good enough. 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 And it's pervasive and it's intrusive and it's hard to deal with. Um, I have to push through it. I have to keep telling myself, you're doing good, sweetie. You're doing great, mommy. Like, I always have to hype myself up because I don't tell anyone what I'm going through. And, like, no one can help. You know what I mean? If her undergraduate patients shared a concern. Though they had high grades, they didn't believe they deserved their spots at the university. Some even believed their acceptance had been an admissions error. While Clance knew these fears... That's how I feel. That's how I feel. I feel like me getting a mural is some type of error. Like, some type of, like anomaly like i got lucky and i don't deserve it but i i totally do were unfounded she could also remember feeling the exact same way in graduate school she and her patients experienced something that goes by a number of names imposter phenomenon imposter experience and imposter syndrome together with colleague suzanne imes clance first studied imposterism in female college students and faculty their work established pervasive feelings of fraudulence in this group since that first study, the same thing has been established across gender, race, age, and a huge range of occupations. I do feel like a pervasive feeling of fraudulence. Um, I feel like I'm a fraud. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like... You guys, 
the people I'm painting next to are the greatest painters that have ever painted Phoenix. And I'm not, this is no exaggeration. In my eyes, Tato Craveo, Lala Cota, Spock, Champ, Sar. Like, Sar's not even from here. That's why I'm not naming him. But, like, these guys are the guys. Part of the guys. They're not even all of the guys. But, like, they're legends. They are legends. And I'm painting with them. You know how many people don't even get the opportunity? And I'm young. I'm young. These guys are, like, in their 50s and 60s. Though it may be more prevalent and disproportionately affect the experiences of underrepresented or disadvantaged groups. To call it a syndrome is to downplay how universal it is. It's not a disease or an abnormality. And it isn't necessarily tied to depression, anxiety, or self-esteem. Where do these feelings of fraudulence come from? People who are highly skilled or accomplished tend to think others are just as skilled. This can spiral into feelings that they don't deserve accolades and opportunities over other people. And as Angelou and Einstein experienced, there's often no threshold of accomplishment that puts these feelings to rest. Feelings of imposterism aren't restricted to highly skilled individuals either. Well, great! Everyone is susceptible to a phenomenon known as pluralistic ignorance, where we each doubt ourselves privately, but believe we're alone in thinking that way because no one else voices their doubts. Since it's tough to really know how hard our peers work, how difficult they find certain tasks, or how much they doubt themselves, there's no easy way to dismiss feelings that we're less capable than the people around us. Intense feelings of imposterism can prevent people from sharing their great ideas or applying for jobs and programs where they'd excel. At least so far, the most surefire way to combat imposter syndrome is to talk about it. Many and we're talking from- about it. We're talking about it. We're talking about it. This is what we do at the Mannequinist Podcast. We talk imposter syndrome are afraid that if they ask about their performance their fears will be confirmed and even when they receive positive feedback it often fails to ease feelings of fraudulence but on the other hand hearing that an advisor or mentor has experienced feelings of imposterism can help relieve those feelings the same goes for peers even simply finding out there's a term for these feelings can be an incredible relief Once you're aware of the phenomenon, you can combat your own imposter syndrome by collecting and revisiting positive feedback. One scientist who kept blaming herself for problems in her lab started to document the causes every time something went wrong. Eventually, she realized most of the problems came from equipment failure and came to recognize her own competence. We may never be able to banish these feelings entirely, but we can have open conversations about academic or professional challenges. With increasing awareness of how common these experiences are, perhaps we can feel freer to be frank about our feelings and build confidence in some simple truths. You have talent, you are capable, and you belong. Everyone can use a little extra kick of confidence sometimes. Find out some tips and tricks for boosting yours with this video. All right, it's over. I guess we could revisit some positive accolades of my accomplishments. Um, Lisa, you could try. You guys, starting with him, like him, the band. When I was 14, having a dream of like throwing something on stage and it landing, that's an accomplishment that I've done. What else? 
losing a lot of weight. I've done it many times. I'm doing it now. I guess I'm just going to have to spend time with myself and revisit the positive aspects of my life. And I'll take six minutes to do that. But first, I want to talk about things we can do, like practical things we can do. So I found a video, another TED Talk, is Thinking Your Way Out of Imposter Syndrome by Valerie Young. So we can think our way out of this. Have you ever had that, I'm in, over my head, and they're going to find out feeling? Me! Maybe it was when you got a promotion, or you started a business, or you landed in a new role. Like the hype. I dealt with imposter syndrome. I felt like I didn't belong, and I felt like it was only a matter of time before someone's going to find out that I don't belong here when I got hired at my current job. I can't really talk about my current job. Well, I can't talk about it at all. But, like, I just know that I, to this day, I still feel like I don't belong there. Highly qualified administrator who couldn't believe they gave her the job. Once she got there, she found out the hiring committee had come directly from a wine function. And she said, aha, they were drunk. Or maybe you've said, if I can do it, how hard can it be? I actually heard a guy... If I can get a PhD in astrophysics from Caltech, anybody can. (laughs) This tendency to discount or diminish obvious evidence of our abilities is called the imposter syndrome. The first time I heard the term, I was a 21-year-old doctoral student at the same university where my mom was working as a night janitor. I instantly identified, and so did other, the other students. As a matter of fact, we decided to start a little imposter support group. We started meeting and talking about being intellectual frauds and how we're fooling all of our professors. And everything went great for about three weeks. And that's about the time I started to have this nagging sense that even though everyone else was saying they were an imposter, it's like I knew I was the only real imposter. Decades later, and psychologists are still telling us that the way to overcome imposter syndrome is to just keep talking about it. Oh. The more we can talk about our supposed ineptness, the better we'll feel. Oh. I don't know. Does anybody ever talk about how fat you feel? It's like, do you feel any thinner? (laughs) Talking about imposter feelings is a start, but you can't share your way out of imposter syndrome. What do you mean? Well, it begins by recognizing that people who really don't feel like imposters are no more intelligent or capable than you or I. Oh. That the only difference between them and us is they think different thoughts. That's it. Which is really good news because it means... I don't know what she means so far, but I like it. All we have to do is learn to think like a non-imposter. What? For example... The big difference between people who feel like imposters and people who don't is no one likes to fail. No one likes to make a mistake. No one likes to not know the answer or to have an off day or to struggle to master something. But when these things happen to imposters, we experience shame. Like the woman who is the head of a large medical center who said to me, I feel like an imposter because, quote, everyone else on the executive team is brilliantly articulate 
and I'm not. Now, there was a time when I would have said to her, oh, I'm sure you're brilliantly articulate. But now I know that wouldn't have served her. So instead I said, well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. And that's okay. She was thinking like an imposter. Non-imposters know they can't be brilliant at everything, and they're fine with that. The reason we have to pay attention to the conversation going on in our head is so we can reframe it the way a non-imposter would. My favorite reframe of all time came from Daniel Boone, the wilderness explorer, who said, I was never lost, but I was bewildered once for three days. That is a very good reframe. Somebody in serious need of a reframe was a friend of mine who was asked to put together a major presentation at, at the last minute. So I noticed she's mentioning this term called reframe. Reframe. How could I reframe my how could I reframe how I look at me getting this current mural and me feeling like an imposter? Oh, and Nyla Lee followed me. Nyla fucking Lee. She's a big muralist, you guys. She's she's a big deal. She's really good, and she followed me. She followed me. You know how many years I've wanted her to follow me, and she finally followed me? Let me reframe my imposter syndrome with you guys on the podcast. Although I feel like an imposter, like I don't belong. I do belong because I have evidence of other people telling me and other people validating me that I'm good. Shaggy Art liked my mural. And he's pretty critical. He's pretty critical. And he likes my mural. And I guess it's 4th of July weekend and I'm the only one not doing anything. Which is kind of funny. So I don't expect anyone to listen to my podcast today, but maybe tomorrow. At least you can try. Time. I guess... That I'm just going to have to deal and tell myself that I'm doing good and tell myself that I'm doing, like, like, I have to be my own cheerleader. Go, Candace, go. Go, Candace, go. And I promise you that season five is coming. Let me read you the, the lineup for season five. I mean, it is season five. But we're going to do episodes on him, Beyonce, Nirvana, Bad Bunny, Lil Wayne, The Young Money, Doja Cat, Kid Cudi, Kodak Black, The Emo Era, The 2000 Alternative Rock Era, Night at the Roxbury, Reggaeton, Classic Rock, Black Sabbath, Typo Negative, Katy Perry, City Girl Era, Daft Punk, Toxic Mambo Rap, Biggie vs. Tupac, Techno, Tame Impala, Coachella, Azealia Banks, Dre, Gucci Mane, Death and Music, The SoundCloud Era. That is all coming tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, we're focusing on music. I promise. So, good night, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to the Man Candace Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at the Man Candace Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at MDMAQ. Visit MDMAQ.com for all your art needs. And email me if you want to sponsor the podcast at info at MDMAQ. 
Info at mdmq.com. Bye! For this one last time. You guys, I'm thinking about Samuel. I don't want to fuck this up. have a feeling I will, but I don't want to fuck it up.